This is Update One, the podcast of the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. Update One provides a forum for listeners to learn about national and international stories, focusing on journalism and communication issues, news and politics. Now, the latest edition of Update One. Hello and welcome to Update One. I'm Bill Loveless, a member of the National Press Club, and our guest today is John Schloys, the president of the News Guild, which represents some 20,000 journalists and other workers in the United States and Canada. We're talking to John as the Guild looks for ways to help alleviate a wave of layoffs, furloughs, and pay cuts at news operations driven by the pandemic and coming just as people look increasingly for reliable reporting on this crisis. John, welcome to Update One. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. John, first, uh, uh, at 32, I think I have your age right, uh, you're you're one of the youngest presidents of an international union. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, and, and what brought you to this position as president of the News Guild. So you, you definitely have it right. I um, am 32, I think, um, and uh, <laughs> it, it's definitely um, feels like I'm on the younger end of union presidents. But there's such a good mix of you know people from all ages and backgrounds, right? That's that's what the labor movement needs is uh, a big diverse mix of people from different experiences. So my background: I grew up in rural South Arkansas, and um, and started working in media through uh, radio, through public radio and college radio, uh, fell in love with journalism through uh, listening to shows like This American Life, uh, trying to put together pieces for radio, figuring out how to record with, you know, large shotgun mics, uh, eventually uh, worked for a bit at a small NPR affiliate in northern Arkansas. Um, and for a time, uh, worked as the online editor for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette in Northwest Arkansas. And that was sort of another place where they, they hired a, a, you know, quote unquote young guy who understood Twitter and Facebook and how to do things for the web. Um, and, and that's what they did. They brought me in to sort of advance the reporting and tell stories in digital ways. We did things that hadn't been done before, at least in, in that publication, like, having live election results on election night, uh, uh, doing uh, multimedia work, um, just basic infrastructure things like making sure that we had, uh, you know, a photo on pages and have a Twitter account. And then uh, about seven years ago, I joined the Los Angeles Times and was a data and graphics reporter. My background was in analyzing large data sets to find stories that we could tell um, and also come up with new interactive ways of telling those stories, sometimes using computer programming, uh, maybe building like a simulator for the lottery to show how bad your odds are at winning the Powerball or uh, building out like a big interactive map of election results um, by precinct so that everyone in California could look at their map, find their address and their location and figure out how many people voted for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton voted to legalize marijuana or against it. And then... At the LA Times, we, we started a, a union movement in late 2016 uh, that took about a year to, to fully catch on. Uh, and there we had 400 people at the Los Angeles Times newsroom. So it was a lot of, a lot of <laughs> conversations, one-on-one conversations as you build a union movement. Uh, and I was involved in that campaign. 
And through that, saw that our union could be more aggressive, more modern, uh, could take ideas and really be a champion for journalism in kind of a, a new, more aggressive way. And at the same time, everyone else in the industry was moving towards organizing and joining a union, whether it was the Writers Guild East or us at the News Guild. And, uh, and I saw, you know, I was like, I, I really think that this would be good for me to, to run for this, to try to like advance some of these causes and, and try to modernize our approach. So I figured out if I could do it and, and I could. Uh, and then last year, I really spent all of last year running uh, a campaign while working full time at the LA Times and also teaching at the University of Southern California. And here I am. I've been in this role since December 10th. Wow. Well, quite a lot. Quite a lot has happened in a year. And I might mention that uh, that newspaper, the Los Angeles Times, does have the News Guild there representing uh, journalists and others. It, uh, it's a newspaper that had not had a union, as I understand it, in its long history. Yeah, 137 years. I mean, the, you go back to the early 1900s. <laughs> the, the publisher at the time would walk around in his military uniform uh, and had a rack of shotguns in the managing editor's office to fight union activists. Uh, the owners of the paper at the time in the early 1900s also had large interests in the city of Los Angeles and a lot of business interests, and they were really against organized labor. Um, and, you know, that permeated the culture for a hundred years uh, until, you know, we came along and decided we should organize. We, we, we want to save the LA Times. We should form a union and, and do what we can together to save it. And you did quite a bit, quite a lot, uh, and quite a lot has happened there since then. Well, uh, we're talking about the difficulties uh, news operations and, and reporters, editors are facing today amid this crisis. Of course, it's difficult for everybody, um, but people are looking to their news organizations more than they might have previously um, for information on what's happening. And, uh, and and there's been, as we just mentioned, uh, quite a, a bit of a law, job loss, pay cuts, and that sort of thing going on. You're addressing this now as, as uh, president of the Guild. Let me start, if I might, John, by just uh, quoting. I was reading a, a column the other day by the New York Times media columnist Ben Smith, and um, he wrote this. Uh, as the coronavirus crisis wreaked havoc in the news business last month, the newly installed president of the most prominent journalist union in the country, the News Guild, crossed a line that once seemed unimaginable. He asked the government for money. Tell us what happened there, John. Well, so uh, I definitely did not expect when I took on this role that I would engage in politics. But um, a couple of months ago, when this pandemic started to spread, we saw news publications across the country lose ad revenue as states were ordering residents to shelter in place. Businesses were closing and people were stop stopping advertising in newspapers and online. Uh, and at the same time, as you said, uh, people were turning to news publications more than ever because they were looking for local information for life saving news uh, to figure out, you know, how the hospitals were handling it, what the caseload was in their neighborhood, how many people that they knew potentially had died from the coronavirus and whether or not they should wear a mask when they go to the grocery store. So we've seen a huge increase in traffic, but we've seen a complete loss almost in advertising revenue. Um, you know, so far the, the kind of numbers aren't specific yet, uh, for the coronavirus, but I mean, the Star Tribune in Minneapolis, for instance, uh, just said that they lost, I believe, 40% of their ad revenue. Uh, the Seattle Times has lost a lot. Um, the New York Times just re reported that they were seeing a huge cratering in, in advertising revenue. And so it's a concern. And what we're looking at is potentially an extinction level event 
where we could lose the entire news industry. And that has huge ramifications for our democracy, for corruption, for keeping people informed, whether it's a matter of public health or a matter of understanding who's uh, not only running for president of the United States uh, in the fall, but who's running for your local school board. And that's really supported by local journalism. And local journalism depends on, for the most part, advertising revenue. So we've asked lawmakers uh, on Capitol Hill to support initiatives that we're pushing um, that would do a couple of things. The first part would be that it would try to keep people employed in this this crisis, so keep them on the job. Uh, we've already seen, you know, according to the New York Times reporting, 36,000 journalists have either been uh, furloughed or laid off or seen some kind of pay cut. Um, we've experienced about 100 people, uh, members of, of our union in guild-represented news organizations have been laid off. Um, and it looks really bad. So we're, what we're trying to do is stem the bleeding so that we can keep people employed because it's a matter of public health that, that Americans need access to, to information that can help save their lives. And then the second thing is, is trying to find a way to rehabilitate the industry because we enter this pandemic without enough journalists to cover this story, the largest story in our lifetimes. And we need more journalists coming on the outside of this. Um, and so what can we do to sort of set up structures that could reinvigorate the industry? change it from the shrinking industry that it's been for so long, especially at the local level, and rehabilitate some of these publications so that they're serving communities uh, before shareholders. What specifically is the Guild seeking from the government, John? There, there's a list of things, um, some of it financial aid, but uh, give, give us some of the highlights of what, what is in this proposal that you just put out. So, yeah, the proposal that we put out in early April came after a lot of conversations internally uh, among our members, among the leaders inside the union. It lists nine different points. And broadly, they're calling for public financing of journalism, acknowledgement that journalists and media workers provide an essential service, making sure that there are strings attached so that it doesn't just go to enriched hedge funds, which have uh, uh, really attacked the industry, really, you know, completely sucked a lot of money out of the industry instead of investing in the industry, um, calling for a moratorium on layoffs, furloughs, pay cuts, buyouts, making sure that workers have the right to organize. I and mean, we've saw, seen some pretty aggressive anti-union behavior. And to me, anti-union behavior in newsrooms is anti-journalist uh, behavior. Uh, and so we really want to make sure that people are protected, want to do things like promote diversity, uh, make sure that there are employees are on, on boards for companies. Uh, try to create incentives for local ownership and nonprofits or employee co-ops, potentially pushing for tax deductions for subscriptions and uh, potentially a national advertising campaign. So that was kind of our broad entrance. And at that point, we had no members of Congress really supporting anything. Uh, now we have hundreds of members of, of Congress supporting at least some part of that. Right. Oh, um, really? Hundreds? Yeah. Hundreds. If you add them all up, calling for. Yeah. The broadest thing at this point from from my vantage point is a call for increased federal spending on advertising as a matter of public health, which would inject a lot of money into uh, local uh, newspapers, radio and TV stations related to public health. Uh, the problem with that is that we need to make sure that it's transparent and that the money is going to keep people on staff and couldn't be used by private equity groups or vulture hedge funds to just take the money, lay everyone off. Uh, run the ads and, and, and shut down the company. So I'm more supportive of, of direct grants, uh, to workers to keep them on the job or potentially an augmentation of the small business administration paycheck protection program 
uh, where larger news organizations could be able to apply for loans if they were directed to specific locations. Uh, because like Gannett, which is the largest newspaper chain in the country, owns a ton of newspapers in places like South Bend and uh, Milwaukee uh, and aren't able to keep people on the job or get federal support to do that, at least through you know the current setup. Right. In terms of numbers of employees uh, that the corporate corporation uh, has across the country, as opposed to what an individual newspaper may have. Right. This is something you're looking for in, 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 a, uh, in, a, in a further round of a stimulus legislation. And and, um, and 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 is it something when you say that hundreds of members of Congress have shown some interest in this? It, you've seen it from both parties. Yes, which has been really great because, you know, the concern from my point of view as a, I guess, a former journalist now is that I want to make sure that this is a bipartisan approach, that we do everything that we can to remain independent and objective, that we really focus on how this is a a crisis and a matter of public health and a public necessity to operate our democracy. Um, And if we lose it, there are ramifications for that. So. I've been really uh, inspired by um, by mostly at this point, a lot of letters signed on by different members of Congress um, supporting at least some parts of these different proposals. And we've seen it from calling the federal government to spend money that it currently has on, on advertising all the way down to draft legislation to create kind of long term or midterm uh, stability for the industry. John, how do you, the, the, the questions raised in terms of, uh, you know, does this represent a conflict of interest? I know that's something you're sensitive to, but how do you respond to it? Uh, extremely sensitive to it. Um, journalists have an obligation to remain independent from the people that they cover, and they have an obligation to remain accountable to the American people. The issue we have at the moment is is whether or not we will be able to continue having that kind of conversation if we don't exist. And if the industry completely disappears, um, we won't be able to have that conversation. So the challenge, I think, for us is to make sure that we have safeguards in place to uh, to make sure that members of Congress won't be using this to ask for favors down the road, um, that we treat it as a public funding. It's not from the Trump administration. This is not coming from Congress. This is coming from American tax dollars um, and American tax dollars that aren't supporting potentially you know, the news industry, if we see the news industry collapse, we actually see that <laughs> corruption goes up in communities, uh, people's taxes go up uh, in communities, partisanship goes up. So we'll pay for it one way or another uh, as the American people. And I think at this moment, it's, it's, it's clear that we have to treat it as the crisis and, and do what we can to save it. Well, you mentioned that uh, this all comes um, at a time when, when, uh, you know, you're, you're, you represent new leadership at the Guild. A, a, a lot's been going on in terms of uh, activities and organizing at the Guild uh, with, you know, some level of success uh, in terms of organizing at different uh, uh, newsrooms. How is the union's role changing and where does it place its priorities now? You go back a decade and the Guild, you know, during the last financial crisis wasn't doing a lot of organizing. And we really didn't see like a large increase until about 2015. And from that point forward, we just started having more and more organizing uh, happening across the U.S. and in Canada. In 2018, we had a record year where we added about 1,400 new members. These are people who either won elections through the National Labor Relations Board or were voluntarily recognized uh, with their employers as units, and we had the ability to represent them. 
And then in 2019, we actually beat that 1400 record by organizing 1500 people. And so it's just been this huge growth. And so far this year, we've, we've, we've won a lot of elections. It seems like people are clamoring to join our union and they're doing it to save their publications and save their work. I mean, it's, it's such a pure, pure, pure goal in, in trying to keep large companies from completely destroying, uh, publications that, you know, we find dear as journalists, but also our, our readers depend on. One uh, idea that's been brought up uh, by you and others in the guild these days, as well as any number of the uh, guild members, is um, the opportunity to form uh, nonprofit um, uh, uh, and, and employee-owned co-ops uh, to, to run newspaper. I was just reading, you know, uh, of an effort at the Baltimore Sun, a Save Our Sun campaign there to mm-hmm. to, to bring that. Um, uh, newspaper into a, a nonprofit arrangement. What do you think of that idea? And do you, do you think it makes sense? Do you think it's likely to catch on and, and provide a solution for struggling news operations? I fully support it. I mean, we're supporting the Save Our Sun campaign. Uh, we support the members. I broke down and cried when, you know, the Pulitzer Prize <laughs> prizes were announced. Um, and the Baltimore Sun staff won. Uh, because yeah. they're so dedicated to their work. I mean, they're so dedicated to their readers. And to have a, a hedge fund, Alden Global Capital, which has been ravaging newspapers like the Denver Post, you know, for years, uh, cutting staff, um, demanding high profits and dividend payments, uh, and not investing that money back into the newsrooms, for them to come in and buy a third of Tribune Publishing and then really try to take it over and control it. Um, has huge ramifications. And yet we have these amazing workers, these journalists who are writing stories that reveal corruption of, you know, the mayor. I think that finding alternatives, whether they're employee co-ops, whether they're nonprofit, whether they're local owners who, who actually care about the, the publications and want to see it succeed, that can come up with innovative strategies, you know, and, and ideas, uh, as, as, you know, the medium changes. Um, I think all of those are possible solutions. I think that the challenge has been these these private equity groups and hedge funds that have really kind of decimated the industry. So you take the Baltimore Sun, for example. It has been part of Tribune Publishing for a long time. And Tribune Publishing from Chicago calls a lot of the shots. And now all in global capital, you know, this hedge fund is is trying to call a lot of the shots. So we're very supportive of trying to break that publication away so that it goes to goes to local owners. And I think nonprofit foundation support is, is a great potential avenue. It's not going to work for every business model. It's not going to work in every location, but where it can work, uh, we have to support it. We'll be watching. Uh, there's, these are some interesting ideas and, and uh, watch for them to gain traction at this uh, difficult time, a time when the news is more important to, uh, than ever, not only on the national level, but certainly on the local level as well. John, thanks again for taking the time to talk to us. Of course, my pleasure. And Bill, thank you so much for having me. For Update One, I am Bill Loveless. Thanks to everyone for tuning in and stay safe. Update One is a production of the National Press Club's Broadcast Podcast Committee. You can comment on this podcast or any episode of Update One by sending an email to Update One Podcast. That's update the number one podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Update One. Update One.